and welcome to Bites of History with Irene Walton. I'm your host, Irene Walton. Have you ever wondered how it made it to your table? Have you ever wondered how it made it to your shelf? If you love food, then this is the show for you. Bites of History with Irene. Today we're going to dive into the history of American cheese, which to me is just American history. I would like to thank my sources for this episode, which were thrillist.com, canr.msu.edu, snopes.com, web.mit.edu, and seriouseats.com. Thank you to Jake L. from Los Angeles for sponsoring this episode, which is hilarious because he is wildly lactose intolerant, but I really appreciate the sponsorship today, so thank you so much. He bought my little coffee where I researched all of this American cheese information. So just before we get too involved in anything, and you start to click away because you're like, no, I don't like American cheese. It's not really cheese, yada, 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 slander, slander, slander. I want to start this episode with a little poem that I wrote um, about how good American cheese is. Hello there, my little square. (laughs) A natural color that you bear. Melt with ease. Stick to my teeth. I will always love you. American cheese. So I think you can see where I stand on American cheese. And this is not a place for any rhetoric that goes against that. So all jokes and my own personal beliefs aside, I do know that a lot of people aren't very partial to American cheese for a multitude of reasons. And to be fair, that is understandable because the way that mainstream media directs rhetoric around certain things is very um, intentional. And so I just wanted to start with with a little experiment that was done by a high school chemistry teacher named James Kennedy. I'm going to name the list of ingredients that are in a food. And you guys are going to guess what that food is. Water, sugars, which include glucose, fructose, sucrose, maltose, starch, fiber, fiber of the E460 variety, E461, E462, E464, E466, amino acids, glutamic acid, aspartic acid, histidine, leucine, lysine, I'll tell you what, phenylalanine, arginine, valine, serine, methanianine, oleic acid, palmitalic acid, philoquine, thiamine, colors, yellow, orange, E101, riboflavin, yellow-brown, E160, and ethanoate. What is it? All of those crazy-sounding chemicals, all of those wild frickin' names that I could not pronounce and also had to skip over a bunch because there were way more in there than I felt, you know, like you would listen to. What are we talking about? If you guessed crazy processed Keebler cookie, you would be wrong. If you guessed perfectly organic and natural banana, you'd be right. (laughs) This social experiment was done by this high school chemistry teacher, Mr. Kennedy, to illustrate the issue in our society of chemophobia, which makes everything in the world sound scary and unnatural. So I just wanted to like chill you out a little bit and remind you that like everything has things in them. Even a banana that you're going to eat has something called ethene gas and capric acid and linoleic acid. Everything's fine. Everything has chemicals. We are chemicals. Life is chemicals. (laughs) And so while we're debunking some of these scary things that make us not want to eat the most perfect food known to man, um, which is grilled cheese, (laughs) let's just like go through what the word process means. 
process just means, and I know this is going to sound like I'm I'm being condescending, but it's not because I fall into this trap too. I'm like, I want to eat more whole foods, nothing processed whenever I'm, you know, in that vibe once every 12 months. This is from dictionary.com. Process is a noun. It is a systematic series of actions directed to some end. It is just things that happen that turn something out. So many things are processed, but we have this really negative connotation. And of course, there are going to be foods that have more in that process than you might like. And that is perfectly okay. I just wanted to remind you and very much myself that process does not always mean bad and scary. It just means things that are happening. And so now that we know processed cheese is nothing to necessarily be scared of, let's talk about where it all started. According to the Michigan Dairy Review, there seem to be quite a few like geographically independent locations where the ideation of processed cheese was happening. We can find history about processed cheese in France, Germany, and Switzerland, which is where our American cheese story kind of begins. Walter Gerbler and Fritz Stettler found themselves melting down Emmentaler cheese, which is like similar to Swiss and adding these emulsifying salts to commercially produce it as early as 1911. So this is way over 100 years ago. They would melt the cheese down along with other cheeses that were like just kind of the butt ends of cheeses, like things that they couldn't sell properly. So they would melt all of these cheeses down, add in sodium citrate, and what was left was this firm but really homogenous, well-combined cheese product after it had cooled down. And just a couple of years later, and a few thousand miles away, in 1916, James Kraft, yes, that Kraft with a K, finally gets his patent for his canned cheese, which is also known as warm cheese. And I am sorry for having to say that into your ears today. And it sounds not great, but it was hugely important for food production in the United States as it increased the shelf life of cheese for a very long time. It was stored in jars or cans on your shelf and could last much longer than all of these other cheeses that we were buying straight from a farm, straight from a dairy. People were very excited about it. He used to sell these. Oh, so freaking cute. He used to sell these cans and jars of his warm cheese. Again, my apologies. Out of a rented carriage with his horse named Patty. Isn't that so cute? It was doing so well and was so popular by 1917, just a year after he got the patent, that he was already sending this to American troops in World War I. You guys, I have to be honest with you. I cannot tell you how many times during this research <laughs> I type into Google, when was World War I? When was World War II? I'm so bad at that kind of stuff and I need to get better and I am, but <laughs> I had to look this up six times. Anyway, now from what I can tell, all of these places that are making this processed cheese product are kind of doing it independently of knowing that, you know, someone in Germany is doing it at the same time that someone in America is. And so they're all kind of coming to this consensus together, which I think is really interesting. And the Phoenix Cheese Company is another dairy production in the industry of creating longer-lived cheese products. And they were the first ones to introduce sodium phosphate, which is an emulsifying salt as well, into their product in 1921. So we're getting the more melty, shiny cheese all the way back a hundred years ago. Now, as we circle back to Kraft, they were pioneers of this. A lot of people were doing stuff like it, but they were doing the most different and the most, I think, interesting stuff. 
So the Kraft Company was the first to make a five-pound brick of this processed cheese, which increased cheese consumption by about double, which is insane. So they, you know, the ones that you will see like in a deli case, those big rectangular loaves, Kraft was the first one to introduce that. And throughout the years, people were seeing the success of Kraft's processed cheeses in America, and other companies were hopping on that melty, warm cheese little bandwagon. And more technology started to evolve around it, and different heating and cooling machines happened. Some were drums, some were big, like, tables. Like, there was a bunch of different technology going into this new industry. And in the 1940s and 50s, these new machines were creating the cheese slices that we're more familiar with today, the glossy, thin, and perfectly uniform cheese slices. Now, as we've learned in other episodes, uniformity was really important at this time. Uniformity gave Americans a sense of kind of like relief and a little bit of comfort after some really trying years. <laughs> um as well as a nod towards like the world of tomorrow that people were so excited about the future and like these machines were doing that. And in 1944, the patent was given to Kraft again. Well, I mean, he made the patent and it got granted to him. But <laughs> Kraft got the patent for the individually sliced and packaged American cheese that we have today. And in the mid-1940s is when Kraft is adding in some of these emulsifiers that his competition had been using for a few years. And this is where that perfectly, like, almost, like, sensual meltability and, like, perfect pullage comes from in our American cheeses. The emulsification of these cheeses melting down. Because just a reminder, American cheese is cheese. Like, there is cheese in it. We're going to get more into that in just a second. But I just wanted to tell you, like, not all of it is, like, plastic goop, Okay. I'm really, go I'm going to bat for American cheese this episode, and I would do it again. And of course, as technology moves forward and more of life is introduced to us, these recipes and processes change along the way. So we have a few different types of this processed cheese today. And J. Kenji Lopez-Alt writes this beautiful Serious Eats article all about this. So as I mentioned, he, uh, I mentioned that article in the beginning with my sources, but I'm going to like pretty much directly quote for the next little bit of this. And it's sort of going to remind you of our egg episode. Like it's very like Food and Drug Administration vibes. There's four categories. I'm going to give some definitions, just like our free range versus pasture raised, all of that egg stuff. So here's how that works. Our first level is pasteurized processed cheese. This is made by melting multiple cheeses together with additional ingredients such as cream, water, salt, approved coloring or spices, as well as an emulsifying agent, which is usually sodium or potassium citrate or monosodium phosphate. And this is the kind of American cheese you would get from a deli counter or like the very bougie packaged American cheese. So this is still a lot of cheese in here and it just has other things. J. Kenji Lopez all says so eloquently, American cheese is like meatloaf. You would never not call meatloaf meat, but there's other things in it that make it this new special thing. So there is a lot of cheese and dairy in American cheese, but it has some other things going on in it, making it a new thing. Our second level is pasteurized processed cheese food, which is the thing that scares people, understandably so. 
similar to pasteurized processed cheese, which was our first one, but it has a higher percentage of quote unquote approved added ingredients allowed. And the final product must have a fat content of no less than 23% and a moisture content of no more than 44% with a minimum actual cheese content. So that's like the cheese that they're melting down of 51%. And this pasteurized processed cheese food is what we're thinking of when we see craft singles, which are my comfort food. Pasteurized processed cheese spread. Now, this is also a processed cheese with a minimum of 51% cheese, so same as above, but a moisture content between 44 and 60% with a milk fat content of at least 20%. And this is going to remain spreadable at 70 degrees Fahrenheit or 21 degrees Celsius. Now, this is your Velveeta, your Laughing Cow, Cheese Whiz. I used to be fucking obsessed with Laughing Cow cheese. And it's pretty damn good. So, (laughs) And now the last one is what I think kind of gave American cheese a bad name. These are pasteurized processed American slices. These are an imposter. It is a vegetable oil-based slice that tastes like plastic and is bad. These will also never have the word cheese even on the label. And that's why they're called things like sandwich slices. So the moral of this American cheese story is just that I don't want you to be scared of it because it's chemicals or because it's processed. And a lot of foods are a conglomerate of other things. Just like J. Kenji Lopez-Alt says, put a lot more beautifully than I did. Well, I mean, I just said what he said, but worse. (laughs) So thank you to him for writing such a beautiful article. But it's just a couple of great things combined with some other great things to make an even better thing. And I just don't want you to be scared of a food because you've heard things about it from other people or these alarmist news articles and infographics. And especially don't be scared of the one piece of culinary genius that can give us a perfect grilled cheese. <laughs> I'm just trying to make your life better. Also, just a quick tip from Olrini. If you are making a grilled cheese... Use mayo on the outside of your bread instead of butter. And this is not me pushing my mayo agenda on you. I promise you, it just makes a better crust on the outside. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for debunking this American delicacy with me and diving into the history that I love so much. I can't wait to take another bite out of history with you next week. I love you. Goodbye. Goodbye.